Hey friends, welcome to This Good Word. My name is Steve Weens, your host, as always. And how often do you get a chance to sit down with a real flesh and blood medievalist <laughs> to talk about the idea of pilgrimage? Well, I had a chance to talk to Lisa Deem, author of the brand new book, 3,000 Miles to Jesus, all about what true pilgrimage really was back in the medieval times, the preparations that had to be made, the long journey on foot and on donkey, the fact that you had to write your will before you had to take it. And in this book, which is so gorgeously written, she talks about the parallels of the pilgrimage that we all take, the interior landscape toward faith, toward Jesus, toward what she calls the heavenly Jerusalem, and what we need to, to, to prepare for in order to make that kind of a journey, how we're strangers in a strange land as we navigate our way to the great spiritual migration. It's so good. So enjoy this conversation and then go out and buy her book, 3,000 Miles to Jesus. Enjoy. Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to talk. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Now, where I forgot to ask you, where are you? Where, where, where are you uh, speaking from? Where do you live? Well, I live in Hickory, North Carolina, and that is really the great greater Charlotte area. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I've only been in North Carolina once, it is but beautiful. I loved it. It's a it gorgeous, is. it's gorgeous mm-hmm. country. It is. Yeah. Fun. Well, uh, we're going to talk about your book, 3,000 Miles to Jesus. First of all, great title. I always suck at titles myself. <laughs> Um, and that, but that's a great one for pilgrimage. So we're going to talk all about that. I can't wait. It's a fantastic book. Uh, but I want to start off with sort of the Krista Tippett question, um, that she starts off with, which I find fascinating. And that's what's your spiritual or religious background? Well, I grew up in, uh, going to church. It was a Presbyterian church with my family. Okay. Um, and one, one, I think, the way it worked for me spiritually is that I feel like there's not a particular come to Jesus moment in my life, like a one particular mountaintop experience. Yeah. But one thing that happened that really furthered my journey is learning to integrate what I was studying in school with my more personal and spiritual life. And I know that's a little strange, but it seemed a little disconnected. For a while, and I was really focused on graduating and, you know, getting the kind of career I wanted. And it was only after that I decided that that kind of career was not for me, actually, <laughs> that I came back to the material that I had engaged with, with a little bit of a f- fresh set of eyes. Yeah. Because I couldn't stop thinking about what I'd studied as an academic: the works of art, the the history. Um, the lessons in spirituality, but I just saw them in a new light. Mm. And somehow that just brought it together for me. It made me more of a whole person. And it really, it really increased my faith to sort of commune with those, that part of myself with, and and with God through history. By looking back on these, these people and these, this era makes me feel rooted when you're a medieval expert, and so I just can't wait to hear more about that. Is that what you're talking about? Like the, sort of studying that field, the art, yes. history? Mm-hmm, the art, yeah, the people. Yeah. 
And I wonder if that's not, if that's more common than we think, you know, like that we have this missing piece and, you know, we, we grow up learning these things about whatever religion that we grow up in, but based on how we're wired up, like if we're intellectual or, you know, we need the bigger picture. I just wonder if most of us need that. I, I don't know, you know, I, yeah. different, you know, you needed mm -hmm. the historical context of, mm -hmm. of art and different people, but I can think of my own self and say, gosh, I think I needed, you know, I needed psychology and socio sociology to understand, you know, human consciousness and human development in order to even accept the Bible, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that fun. is so interesting. I think you're probably right. Well, I don't know. That, that, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That, or maybe we need to go off script in yes. some way sometimes, which I yes. feel like I did a little bit and see what, the pieces. What led you to studying the medieval period of history? I mean, was it was it your spiritual questions or was it something else? It was really not my spiritual questions. It was, in fact, I. I decided I wanted to major in art history, yeah. but I was not initially interested in medieval. I was doing Italian Renaissance and mm. um, some American landscape painting. But I think I, you know, I had a wonderful teacher in my master's program that was a medievalist. And you know how a, a great teacher can oh, yeah. make all the difference. Yes. And that just inspired me and something clicked. And I do think that I do think the spiritual aspect was at work. Maybe it felt familiar to me, but it wasn't it wasn't really uppermost in my mind. Like maybe I wasn't truly conscious of why I was drawn to that. Yeah. I saw that potential of things I wanted to study there and I think I sometimes I feel like I'm a slow learner. <laughs> Later I realized, oh, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why I study this because yeah. it's such a rich field of Christian spirituality. Definitely. Ah, oh. well, I, I uh, your your book is really about pilgrimage, and so I'm just curious that how would you define how do you define pilgrimage? Well, the, I feel like the most basic and simplest definition is that a pilgrimage is a sacred journey, or a journey to a, a sacred or holy place, and this is really kind of a complicated answer. I love um, it. Well, because these days, pilgrimage has a very complex and broad meaning. It can mean um, any kind of a, of a journey that has personal meaning, or perhaps it leads to some kind of, of transformation. And I think that a lot of us use the term pilgrimage as we talk without thinking about it too much. You know, my, my, my pilgrimage or my journey through this difficult area in my life, or God took me on this journey to accept something about. So we use the term pilgrimage and journey. And I think it's wonderful that we do because I feel like it is so biblical. Um, for me, I ex love all those definitions and the way we use the term. Um, I Maybe it's the academic in me that in my book, um, I, I love to return to the the real traditional kind of old-fashioned definition of pilgrimage, and that's what I deal with in the book, which is a pilgrimage to, a Christian pilgrimage anyway, a pilgrimage to a shrine or a church for a variety of reasons, maybe to pray, to seek healing, because uh, for repentance, 
And so I'm, I, I realize I'm working with this really kind of traditional yeah. definition, this physical pilgrimage to a shrine. But I think that definition just kind of flows into and works with all these other definitions and the way we use it. And that's why that's why I like the, the concept of pilgrimage so much. Well, I like where you're going because I think there is this, and I agree, I love the language of journey and the language mm -hmm. of, you know, and the many ways that we use that. But it's also, but I like that you're taking us back to the roots of what it really was so that, not that those other things aren't true, but that maybe when we're, um, when we really define the pilgrimage that we really do find ourselves on, we can learn more about um, the inner workings that are happening that are surprising to us, you know, because, you know, it's sort of like when people say they're in the wilderness, you know, like, well, yeah, you're in the wilderness, but you have your cell phone and you have your, you know, you have your tent <laughs> yeah. and you have your return airline ticket. And so you're not really in the wilderness biblically. Maybe the same could be said for pilgrimage. And again, not to take it away, not to take anything away from any way that anyone uses it, but I like how you're returning us back to the original usage of it. Oh, like, yeah, and you you said that so well. It's um, the Middle Ages is is really when pilgrimage, as we think of it in the Christian tradition, was at its height. And it's where we get many of our ideas of pilgrimage. For example, walking the Camino de Santiago. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was one of the biggest pilgrimage routes throughout the Middle Ages. So it is kind of returning to the era that gave us a lot of our language of pilgrimage and a lot of our ideas and even the routes and notions. Yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of returning to maybe the roots or just seeing, well, what do we mean when we say that my life is a pilgrimage? Yes. I just kind of wanted to, I think it's fine to throw around the term and to, you know, to use it in broadly, but I want, yeah, I wanted to get at what, what do we really mean when we say it's a pilgrimage? Yes. Wow. That's what why I love yeah. yeah. Well, that's why like those of you, well, listeners, you know, this is not a book written by a person who's throwing around pilgrimage as a, as in that way, she's a medievalist with a PhD. And so there's so much to learn. So my, one of my questions is, Lisa, what are the, what are the elements of a pilgrimage? You know, like, I mean, back in the middle ages, you know, and mm -hmm. even one of the lines I love that you wrote is sort of like, you know, the big thing now is to be in the present, you know, be in the present. But back then you're just walking for 500 miles. There's nowhere else to be, you know, like the thought of being anywhere else, anywhere other than present. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. So, A big sense so, of the presence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the elements of pilgrimage? Okay, you mean like parts of the journey? Yes, like yeah. someone that and okay, you know what? Can I can I pause on that question? Mm -hmm. Actually, I want to ask. Yeah, the, the way you structure this is you you bring us you you introduce us to these three medieval characters mm -hmm. on their way to Jerusalem, and and talk about why you picked that device because and, oh, okay. then, and then we'll talk about pilgrimage because yeah. I think that oh, would okay be okay yeah. and yeah. maybe I will um kind of be dealing with those two questions together. Okay, sure. I wanted to structure the book as a journey. Okay. For one thing, I did um I didn't want to structure the book as a series of lessons about pilgrimage or topics in pilgrimage, even though there's topics and lessons. I wanted to create more of an experience um, so that we travel with 
a medieval pilgrim or, or several of them to see, you know, to take the reader, all of us on a journey, a spiritual journey, to see, to give us that sense of adventure in our spiritual life. So that was important to me to structure it that way. Yeah. And to, and when we do that, if we're taking a journey, then we're certainly not alone because no pilgrim ever walks alone. So right. I began to look at um, pilgrims we could travel with on this journey. And so many pilgrims, of course, were anonymous. Yeah. I mean, they did not all come back and write about their experience, just as not all of us would do that today after a trip. But some did. Some did. Um, to the extent that we know what these journeys were like really well, yeah. e even despite individual differences. And as I wrote, there were three voices that um, that just really rose to the fore hmm. um, and became companions. You know, as I wrote it, and companions, I think, for the journey. Yeah. And that is probably because you know they were writing in the 15th century, so that's a little later, and so their writing's a little different perhaps than pilgrims in the earlier Middle Ages who might just talk about the route only right. and the distance between places. But these pilgrims that I wrote about, they're, they're talking all about their aspirations and their fears and their dreams and what they wanted and what happened inside. And so those voices really, really captured me. And, mm. it, and it, it just, it then it became obvious that I was using two or three of them the most. And so those emerged as sort of in the middle of my writing as three companion guides for us. You talk about that as if they came to you and mm -hmm. introduced themselves to you and said, <laughs> hey, can I come? Was that well, what it was like, sort of? A little bit, because at first I was reading these three pilgrims that I focus on in the book as sort of uh, sources or resources for, yep. well, what, what was a pilgrimage to Jerusalem like in the 15th century? What, what were the, the elements? Where did they go? What did they have to do? What happened then that yep. in a typical journey? So it was, it was a resource. But then it was sort of like they said, they each became distinct individuals. Yeah. <laughs> it's the thing. And I, so distinct. So the elements of their journey are very common. And yeah. that's why I could write about it in that way, because really the, the pilgrimage was structured in a certain way. But then there were these three people that became like individuals yeah. wanting to tell me something different. Yes. Each someone different. So we, you know, we have um, Marjorie Kemp, which many people I think already know as this a lay woman and a mystic who had visions and was so emotional. And so she kind of brought the emotional um, demonstrative part of pilgrimage to the fore. Yep. You know, having it, having this incredible vision mm -hmm. in the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Yep. And then Pietro Casola, an Italian canon also from the 15th century, not emotional at all, a very dry, sort of um, dry humor. Yeah. And he came up with some phrases that are just so, you know, so witty and humorous. Yeah. He had this dry sense of humor that's just amazing. Yeah. And so I loved him for that. Wow. And then um, Felix Fabri, a Swiss who lived in Germany, um, Dominican friar, he's, he really 
he was emotional, not as much as Marjorie Kemp, but he just had seemed to have a big heart. Yeah. And he seemed probably because he was a sort of a pastor, very pastoral. Mm -hmm. And so these three distinct personalities emerged to take us on this journey. Yes. So now that you've said that, thank you for that. What, what is the structure of a pilgrimage? What, okay. is, what are the elements of the journey that they would mm -hmm. teach us and did teach us and do teach us? Okay. Well, first of all, the physical journey, is that kind of something you mean? Y yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Well, they prepared for the journey and that often included, um, well, they were going to be away for a long, long time, right. sometimes a year or more. So that there was a great deal of preparation to do in settling their affairs. And that included often writing their will yep. when they went so, so far to Jerusalem. And sometimes pilgrims did that when, when going to Santiago de Compostela, a long journey from which it was not at all sure they were going to return. So they they did write their their will, which is yeah. a little daunting to think about. Right. Well, it um, puts it in perspective like this is not just, a, again, this is not a, a, a round trip ticket that you buy that, you know, right. it's going to be a fun thing and, and you're going to yeah. for sure be back. It's potentially mm -hmm. you might lose your life if you don't know. Right. That's yeah. Nice. And so that, yeah, that's just like a big, a big lesson for me yeah. that, that I wanted to, to talk about. It's like, gosh, um, are you ready to, to give it all yeah. on, on this journey of faith? Like Jesus said, it's this journey will, will cost you everything. Yeah. And we see just a little bit of, um, you know, in, in a lesser way, a, a, you know, kind of a, a prefiguring of that, or that sure. prefigure is the wrong word, but an echo of that. Yes, of, yes. You know, are are you ready, Christian, for a journey that's going to cost you everything, mm -hmm. maybe even your life? Mm -hmm. um, wow. So that's really something to think about. Yeah. Um, I, for all of us, like, do I want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And then after their extensive preparation, they set off and... There was a pretty set way they got to Jerusalem. Now, they all started from different places. I'm talking mostly about Europe and England. Yep. They were coming from Northern Europe or England. They would you know, walk or ride their donkey, and they would have, then have to cross the Alps yep. um, by on, on passes, Alpine passes, often with local guides that would help them across. And there are a lot of um, really interesting stories about that. Yeah. And some of them don't mention it at all. For some, it was just uh, the biggest ordeal ever. Getting across those mountains, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that reminds me of all the the obstacles that lie in our own path, of course. Yep. When we're yep. just walking along and we seem to be stopped. Yeah. And how do we get across? How do we get across those mountains? Yeah. Um, and then they did that. And they then were in Italy and they traveled to Venice. And in the late 15th century, this was mostly the way you took a pilgrimage. You got yourself to Venice. Mm -hmm. And if you were coming from Italy, you didn't have to cross those Alps. You right. just right, made your way to Venice. And then from Venice, everyone boarded a galley, a pilgrim ship, and sailed across the Mediterranean Sea to Jaffa, which was a port city in historic Palestine. Yep. And that, so that's the coast of the Holy Land. Yep. And then there were quite a few adventures, even in Jaffa itself, 
um, they had to kind of go through customs in a way because the Holy Land was controlled by the Egyptian and Mamluk sultans. So they had to go through customs and uh, deal with permissions to enter the Holy Land and all that. And then they rode their donkey. It was about 20 or 30 miles inland to Jerusalem. So there were several kind of stages or legs of the journey yep. that they committed to, to taking. And I find it amazing that that it was such a, you know, such an incredible journey, right. donkey, foot, boat, mule. Right. Right. <laughs> and I imagine there are some, you know, uh, hostels sort of, as it were, along the way where they would stay, but, uh, but other times they would sleep outside or in tents, makeshift tents, right? I mean, is that sort of how, yes. how it was? Yeah, the, the pilgrims I write about, I think we're in the, the class, a social class of where they probably did stay in inns mm-hmm. or with um, friends or clergy that they knew. Sure. Not always, but yeah. And then other pilgrims, yeah, might stay in a hostel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. For example, in the Alps, as they're going across and, and other places. And it's fascinating. As I was reading um, the book, I just noticed uh, one of the, like, leg one, leg two, leg three. And the the time, the estimated time was like two weeks to four months or whatever, you know. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, that's so yeah. different than yes. again than anything we have any concept about. Yeah, right. Because you when don't they, weather's yes. gonna come in, you right. know, weather could mm-hmm. knock you out for three weeks, you know. Right, it could. And when they got to Venice, the sh- the ships only sailed once or twice a year in the spring to avoid winter storms. Right. And, you know, that wasn't, it's not like it was advertised really well when they were going to leave. So sometimes they got there too early. Yeah. And just had to wait. And so I find another kind of lesson there in how slow our our journey can go. Yeah. The times we're we're forced to wait. And it seems like we're making no progress at all. Yeah. And it is so different. Yeah. From, I think, from what we most often want today, even on our spiritual journey, we don't. I don't want to be, I don't want to, to have to take so long to learn what God wants to teach me. No. <laughs> why can't it happen faster? <laughs> why can't I be more in control of it? You know? Yeah. Or why can't I mature a little bit at a little bit of a quicker pace? Yeah. Oh my but gosh. Yeah. Sometimes it's pretty slow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you write that pilgrimage has two elements, the challenge of distance and the sense of being strangers in a strange land. I think you've covered the distance piece a little bit. I'm sure there's more to say. Talk about what you mean by the element of pilgrimage being strangers in a strange land and what that, how that related to your, our three characters, but then also how it relates to modern day pilgrimage in our own spiritual mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Well, it was, I think it's the sense of, and every every pilgrim was a stranger or a foreigner in a sense, and that actually was the original meaning of the word pilgrim. Mm-hmm. It's it meant it meant foreigner or strangers, yeah. not yeah. necessarily just someone on a journey. Yeah. So the second, I guess, the moment, even though they didn't have the same concept of boundaries, political boundaries, still when they left home, they were immediately entering a different status yep. and becoming a stranger in a strange land. And then 
that increased the further they got from home, and especially when they entered the Holy Land. And this is so interesting to me because the Holy Land and Jerusalem, that was the center of medieval Christendom, as it is kind of the center of our Christian faith today in many ways. And you would think that they that pilgrims might feel at home there. You know, they had finally arrived at home. You know, this is the center of my faith in mm-hmm. geographical terms and where it all happened with Jesus. Yeah. But that's probably the place they, they were the most strangers of all. Wow. Because of the Holy Land being not in Western jurisdiction at all. Right, but held in the hand of the Egyptian and Mamluk sultans. So they were really entering a foreign territory when they went to the Holy Land. And they could still worship mm-hmm. and see all the, the sites in Jesus's life. But, you know, they did so as foreigners. Yeah. You know, which, which reminds us, I think that... Well, what it reminds me of is how we all are strangers in a strange land. Yeah. As as the Bible says. Right, right. And so it kind of takes me back to Hebrews in, in chapter 11, where it talks about how all the, the heroes of our faith, like yeah. Abraham and Sarah yeah. and Noah, and how these people were essentially pilgrims yeah. that did not look behind them, but looked ahead to what is to come, yeah. considering themselves strangers on this earth and pressing forward to a better country. Yeah. So they were strangers in a strange land. And it you know the inference being that all of us Christians, all of us people of faith are are strangers here on the earth. Yeah. You know as we make our way to the heavenly Jerusalem that we every one of us is a stranger in a strange yeah. land. Yes. And you know that just that's what our pilgrimage is. Yes. I, you know, I, I reflect on even the journey of Abraham and Abram being called to a pilgrimage to a place that God would show him, you know? So it wasn't even like, okay, I want you to go from here to there, from here to Jerusalem, from here to wherever. Of course, there wasn't yeah. no Jerusalem back then, but, um, but that even that aspect in the biblical story has always been fascinating to me that, that he left on a on a bizarre invitation with no sense of where he was going to go mm-hmm. but he went anyway that's always been very compelling to me that is truly um, amazing you know that takes so much faith yeah yeah leaving kinship leaving you know mm-hmm. his tribal protection right yeah. from his land and so when when pilgrims would get to Jerusalem was it dangerous there for them to be there? It could be. Yeah. It could be a little bit because again of the the political and religious strife. Yeah. between the Christians and the and the Muslim ter- caretakers yeah. of Jerusalem. And um so sometimes that did occur. So there were situations where it went smoothly and some of the Christian pilgrims became friends or had a really deep respect for certain of the of the Muslim caretakers there that they met. Sure. But sadly, um, they did they really did consider the Egyptian and Mamluks 
sultans and and all the people really to be their enemies. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's a sad thing. I mean, we're not in the era of where they understood each other as a general rule a right. whole lot. And so I loved to see the examples where they did or where there were, yeah. were signs of, of respect and, and friendship. And I pointed a couple of those out in my book, but there were, there was mutual kind of distrust and hostility. And so that could make things a little bit rough yeah. for the pilgrims so that when they finally arrived in Jerusalem, it's not like, Oh, everything's fine. We're here now. It was continued. There were some continued difficulties yeah. in negotiating this landscape that was to them foreign territory and maybe even hostile territory. Yes. So showing that, um, showing what we have to give, what we have to go through to worship God, that mm-hmm. it never is ideal. No. I don't think. No. Like we're not given the Garden of Eden right now in which to worship God. Yeah. We have. We're doing it in. Places of hardship, yep. and strife, and that's I, like like I do in the book. I, I like to begin that with those places inside myself. I'm not talking yeah. about other people out there who are right. my enemies or jerks or have yeah. different viewpoints. I'm talking about my own self, right? The interior <laughs> um, landscape of your you own, know, right? My own inner landscape, which is really difficult to get through <laughs> to a place of worship. That is so poignant. Thanks for saying that, Lisa, because I think sometimes we can externalize everything. You know, oh. the challenges we have are with other people and people who just don't understand us. But you're right. You're right. The the challenges to entering into worship are mostly interior for, for I, me. You I know, think they are. If we're honest, you know, mm-hmm. and can yep. we move through those those mountains? <laughs> You know, can, yes, that are right. treacherous, and yep. what we need, what guides mm-hmm. do we need to help us do that? Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating part yeah. of pilgrimage, I think. Um, interesting. Well, here's kind of a weird question. I mean, the great title, Three Thousand Miles to Jesus," mm-hmm. and, and this is just more of a curious question, playful question, no right answer. But like, mm-hmm. is Jesus a destination or a journey? What do you think? Oh, wow! Yeah. You know, I'll I'll answer your question by saying yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it as I wrote, I just I became aware of all these paradoxes. Yeah. In in pilgrimage and in just in the faith, and at first, I kind of wanted to try to solve them all. Yeah. You know, it, it's this or it's this. Yeah. Which is it? <laughs> and and I could not solve them. And of course, it it's not solvable in that way. So I feel like one of the biggest paradoxes, um, that's really a, a good paradox, but just you know, two things that are just true at the same time that are so different, is that in a way, Jesus is a destination. Yep. We're on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem as, as we live our life. Yep. And you know, when we pray, I often think of it as you know, going to meet Jesus yeah. you know, deep inside, and that, yeah. that's a, a journey there to try to get away from everything pressing in on us. But in an equally important sense, Jesus is with us the whole way Yeah, as we journey to him. Yeah. So God is there as we journey to God. Yeah. Um, and you just, both of those are true. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful that, you know, as we make, because I think we can talk about our journey to God. I feel like that's biblical for sure. And I, you know, I see that all over Scripture that that we're on this journey as mm-hmm. strangers in the world. Mm-hmm. 
but also God is facilitating our walk every step of the way. He's prepared a way for us to get there. Mm. And he's with us as we go to him. Mm. <laughs> I I love that. I can't, you know, it's it's like it's it's a mystery that we can hold both of those truths. Thank you for that. I love that. And I do I you know, the the nature of paradox is so important to name as a part of faith, I think, because you know, even the Eucharist where Jesus is both the host and the meal, you know, yes. true. That's his table, but we are feasting on Jesus. And yeah. while, you know, so that's a paradox. Um, exactly. And I just read somewhere, I can't remember who made this insight, but it was like this imaginative wondering the story when Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. So he's going on this journey somewhere else. He's not going toward Jesus, really. He doesn't think so, but he is. And then he, he goes blind, but the person was like, when he sees nothing, that's what the scriptures say. It's like, is God the nothing that he sees? Mm. Is like, let's explore the nothing, you know? Um, wow. And and so for me, that's an aspect of pilgrimage too, where it's like, when we, um, well, here am I ramping on, I don't know anything about no. pilgrimage, but like when when those things happen, like Saul, his eyes go dark and he sees nothing. But even that, what is the nothing, you know? And I, I think there's must be moments on the pilgrimages that we take where we have those paradoxical realities where faith is the only thing that enables us to move beyond. I think, oh, now, yeah, what do you yeah. think about that? I mean, yeah, is that something you've encountered in your studies and in your own journeys? Yeah. Well, that, well that's an, that's amazing too about what you said about Saul, Paul. Yeah. That's you can remember who, who said that. I really, uh, yeah, that's, I'll that's probably beautiful. remember it tonight, but <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. So even I feel like you're definitely right. And I, that's interesting that Saul wasn't going towards Jesus really. Um, he didn't know, even really know where he was headed in a sense. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. We know where we're headed, yeah. Jerusalem. Yep. That's a pretty far distant destination yep. in, in terms of our life. Yep. Um, and that even though we know that we're headed, where we're headed, that there are many times we don't see the road right ahead of us. Right. right? Absolutely. And that it's like just walking on in faith. Yeah. And it reminds me of that that prayer by Thomas Merton that I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember now. <laughs> um, Lord God, I do not know where I am going. I cannot see the road ahead of me, that that prayer. Yep, yep. Um, so again, that's another paradox. Yep. I, I feel strongly that our pilgrimage has this destination. Yeah. Right, Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's, I think on a day-to-day -day basis, we often can't see where we're going. Yeah. And that there is room for that mystery, mm -hmm. which can be terrifying. Like, mm -hmm. where am I? I can't see. Yeah. Um, and then also a type of mystery that leads to great adventure. Right. Also. But, you know, yeah, there's the scary part, too, that I can't see where I'm going. Yeah. Wow. Um. 
Let me ask you this too, like these days, Lisa, um, you know, are there things that, cause this is a mindset too, you know, like you, you talk mm-hmm. about the actual pilgrimage to actual Jerusalem as an actual journey, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. of course we're also going to think about it as, as a, you know, as, as the journey of our spiritual lives, are, are, are there things that you personally that keep you from, from remembering that you are on a pilgrimage to the heavenly Jerusalem? Like what are the things that you have to go, oh yeah, you know? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. I feel like if I don't remind myself all the time yeah. that I'll just, I will lose sight of that. Yeah, it, It's, you know, somehow we have to keep the destination in mind yeah. somehow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like every time I get up in the morning that yeah. if I don't somehow remind myself, yeah, I'll just go off. So to, for me, I think it's just daily life or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if I stubbornly decide I'm going to go off on my own path yeah. because I don't want to take this path. Yeah. God has set yeah, out for yeah. me and I will do that. Yeah. Um, and I eventually, I, I feel like, you know, if we, if we have faith, we will get to Jerusalem. Yeah. But I want, I, I lose sight of it all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, partly I wrote this book because the pilgrim stories just remind me so much that, that I am a pilgrim and mm-hmm. I, did, I, I just always need the reminders. Yeah. Do, do you have any like things around your house, pieces of art or little quotes or whatever that, that are you that kind of person that, you know, um, that, that will remind you of, of pilgrimage? A few things I, I'd like, I probably need to get more, but I have a few of the quotes yeah. um, from the book, like the historical quotes that, yeah. that some of the pilgrims said and things yeah. like that. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, well, um, I think maybe one more question, just looking at the mm-hmm. time. This has been so, so fascinating. And that is, as people pick up your book, I know this is, I hate when people ask me this, but I'm still going to ask it. Like, what are your hopes for when people carry your book around with them, read your book, Mm -hmm. ingest your book? What are your hopes for them? Okay. Well, you know, it's a good question, actually. I hope people will, um, when they read it, experience it as a journey, in a sense, because we're in right now a tough time when we're not traveling very much. Yep. And so I hope people can get into it as a kind of a spiritual journey and maybe um, really get into that sense of adventure because our spiritual life is a great big adventure as, yeah. we, as we walk toward God. So I hope they'll get into it yeah. and love it in that way and really take these pilgrims as companions. Yep. And, and enjoy a journey. And even more than that, that that people will take away the bigger concept that that our that our pilgrimage is a gift mm. um, because we always have a destination before us, and it just means that that we know where we're going, and yeah. that, as I say in the book, we don't have to ask the question, "Where is my life going?" Yeah, so I mean that that's a gift, and that we is can a embrace gift. it. Thank you for you know, saying it, that. That's and, beautiful. And the, the destination makes the hardship worthwhile and bearable and, mm-hmm. and ultimately successful. Mm. That's gorgeous. It is a gift. It is a gift. Mm, yeah. That is gorgeous. Yeah. What a great reminder. Well, um, 
Lisa, how can we get this book? How can we follow your work? Um, well, thanks. I, I have a website, lisadeem.com. And my other website that I manage is D E A M, right? D E A M M, like Mary. LisaDean.com. And I also blog at the contemplativewriter.com, which is a website of resources and blog posts and prayers for everyone wanting to live a contemplative kind of life. And the book, I'm on Twitter a lot. I love Twitter. So Lisa K. Deem. And the, yeah, the book is going to be available at probably your favorite online bookseller, Amazon, yep. Barnes and Noble, Broadleaf. Yep. All those places. Yeah. Well, I will put all of those links on the show notes. So just check out steveweens.com slash show notes. And then, you know, if you're listening to this decades later, <laughs> then the actual, <laughs> you'll have to probably search for it. But if you're listening to it pretty close, then you'll see it. Uh, you know, it's, um, this good word show notes. Anyway, steveweens.com show notes. And um, you can follow Lisa on Twitter. You can follow her writing. You can buy her book, 3,000 Miles to Jesus, Lisa Deem. Uh, and I hope you do. I hope you do because I think in these times where there is so much division, violence, uncertainty, the idea of embarking on a faithful pilgrimage might be a lifesaver, you know, for some of us that we set our intention on something and mm-hmm. that we don't have control over, but we do know where we're going. I think there's something very hopeful in that. So I do think it's mm-hmm. timely, uh, you know, so, and I hope, uh, I hope lots of people engage with it and receive the gift mm-hmm. of, of having a destination and that destination be a good and spacious place. So thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much, Steve. It was great. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.